If you have your Bibles with you, you want to turn again to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be spending our time, as I've been praying about things, um, spending our time in 1 Corinthians 1 for a while here, preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And you'll notice the title of the message today is A Real Letter to a Real Church. And uh, Paul's, all of his epistles were letters to real churches. But um, we're going to see as we look at Corinthians, um, Paul preaches or shares with them and he writes to them having been there and he knows about them and he knows the struggles, he knows the joys that are going on. And so he will note those things and it will be a good opportunity for us in that same token of things. But Corinthians, Corinth, the city of Corinth was quite a bustling city and we'll notice it's a lot like our cities in our world today. And we're going to note that here in just a bit. But before we do, I have to say something. Brett, thanks for singing that song um, today. Uh, If you don't know where that song is from, it's from the movie Joseph, King of Dreams. And it's by DreamWorks and things that way. Whatever you feel that way, don't worry about it. But it really catches the essence of Joseph, that song does, as he sings that as he's at the in the in jail, not knowing why he's there. Well, he, God provides all the reasons why, but that part that he will trust in him. I've asked God a lot of whys in the last few months, couple months, and I don't know all the answers to all the whys, but it's a matter of simply trusting in him and knowing that he will lead and guide. It's the same for us as a church and a congregation. That's where the key comes. And we're going to see that as we go along. There's a little poem that Samuel Stevenson wrote about churches. He said, A city full of churches, great preacher, lettered men, grand music, choirs and organs. If these all fail, what then? Good workers, eager, earnest, who labor hour by hour. But where, oh where, my brother, is God's almighty power? Refinement, education, they want the very best. Their plans and schemes are perfect. They give themselves no rest. They get the best of talent. They try their uttermost. But what they need, my brother, is God, the Holy Ghost. What is a congregation? We believe that the congregation is the right form of the kingdom of God on earth. And there's no authority above it but the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The congregation is where the people are. Where is the kingdom of God today? It's in the hearts of people. And that's what we should view each of these messages, each of these words that come in the epistles. We should view it as that message to us as a congregation. Yes, to the congregation specifically there in in Corinth. But it's a message to us today as well. well. Let's start out and let's look at it. What did the what did this Corinth church look like? This congregation. It, it's no exaggeration, as I told you before, that Corinth was a lot like our larger American cities. It was busy, it was cosmopolitan, commercial, it was a, a center that was known by all. And as we go through First Corinthians, we're going to find it very easy to apply the teachings to the twenty first century here as well. After all, isn't God's word applicable 
yesterday, today, and forever because he doesn't change. And that's the key again. The city was destroyed in 146 B.C. It was built 100 years after that again, rebuilt by Julius Caesar. It, we believe that it had about 100,000 plus people. The biggest temple there was the temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And you know how you worship the goddess of love? Prostitution. It's amazing to think about. To commit fornication was the way you worshipped in that city. It was a city that was a it was described as a seaman's paradise and a drunkard's heaven. <laughs> they studied the arts and the sciences, they flourished. There was language study, schools of philosophy, intellectualism was they did it with pride. They knew the trivia of the day. If you want to say. They maybe had, I don't think they had Jeopardy programs, but whatever. Sports were very, very big in Corinth. Does that sound like our world today? The Jews had a synagogue there. And that's the place where Paul would have first, first come. But the first church in Corinth would have started as a small nucleus around 50 A.D., made up of Gentiles and Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. And maybe they first met in upper rooms or in houses. But I love the way that it was explained and written in a, in a, in a commentary about those churches. They were both a marvel and a mess. Like many churches and many lives, Paul's intention in his first epistle to the Corinthians is to preserve the marvel and to clear up the mess. Praiseworthy intentions, but fraught with problems. That described the church at Corinth. Does that describe some of our churches? We're all real people, aren't we? We all need God's help. And that's with any church and with any person. And so we have a real letter here to a real church. And Paul starts out as he does with most letters. He starts out with a greeting and such. But what he does is he starts out with them and he notes God's plan. And he reminds them of what God has called them to. The purpose that God has for them. Now you guys know I... I came from Rozo, so hockey plays a role in everything in Rozo. When I was a boy in 1980, I watched the Olympics crazily because Neil Broughton from Rozo played on that team. And I knew his younger brother, Paul, and I were near the same age. But I remember watching that. But maybe you remember what, as, the, as they won and you've watched the Miracle on Ice thing, but they, they beat Russia but before that game, Herb Brooks said to the team, he said, he said, there's, sorry, here you go. You are born to be a player. You are meant to be here at this time. This is your moment. There was purpose there. And you and I were born to have a purpose. We're born to be here at this moment. God has a plan. You know, I was thinking about that, and, 
There was the movie City Slickers, if you've ever watched it, with Billy Crystal and the and the the cowboy Curly, and and they were doing this at a dude ranch or whatever. And and Billy Crystal asked Curly, he said, "What's what's the purpose in life?" And Curly puts up one finger. And Billy Crystal says, "Well, your finger is the meaning of life." And he goes, "No, one thing. One thing is the meaning of life." Curly said. And Billy Crystal said, "Well, what's that one thing?" And and Curly says, "That's for you to find out." <laughs> After the Dallas Cowboys had won the Super Bowl, and you recognize some of you recognize Tom Landry up there. Tom Landry, the coach, made this observation. He said, the overwhelming emotion in a few days after they had won among the players on the Dallas Cowboy football team was how empty that goal was. (laughs) There must be something more, most of them said. (laughs) Well, we know there's something more. There's nothing else but God that can fill the emptiness in a soul. Paul starts out there and he says, Paul, an apostle. And God's plan here is he starts out that way. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ and God the Father. But God's plan is written here to the Corinthian church, the ones that have been or having been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Do you know what the word sanctified means? Set apart. Set apart in Christ Jesus. God's word will work. (laughs) We're set apart in Christ. I think of the words that often many pastors sometimes do. John 17, 17. And some of them pray it as they preach the word. Sanctify them in the truth. For God's word is truth. (laughs) Set us apart in that word. And then he calls them saints, doesn't he? He calls them saints. Saints is literally holy ones. Do you realize that you guys are saints? Maybe we should look up and see if your name is in the dictionary of saints. People help me move. They saw I have tons of books. <laughs> I found this book when I was in the dictionary of saints. You can look up and they've been sainted by the, the church so to speak. But you know that anybody who's a believer in Jesus Christ is a saint? We are holy in Christ Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you again, you're 100% saint, but you're also 100% sinner until that day. And he writes to them, and just by even the greeting, he's reminding them who they are. And he's reminding us who we are in Christ. We're called. And and the only book that we have to worry about having our names written in is written about in Revelation 21-27. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will enter the glory of heaven. Is your name written there? That's the old song, isn't it? On the page white and fair. In the book of thy kingdom. Is your name written there? And he continues on with this greeting and he reminds them of the calling, the ones calling on the name of Jesus Christ. (laughs) 
That's the name that we can call upon. That's the name that we live in. For salvation, we call upon his name. In prayer, we call upon his name. In worship and in daily life. To have a daily living relationship with Jesus Christ. I found it interesting in times when I talk with people, it's fine to talk about God sometimes. And they don't have a problem because sometimes they're thinking small g God and there's lots of gods. But when you mention the name of Jesus Christ, the conversation changes. Because we have to come face to face with who he is. And then he ends that greeting with that wonderful words, and he does it in a lot of other books too, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a nice and a beautiful way to be reminded right away of God's plan for them and God's plan for us as believers to be set apart and to live our lives for him. And then in verses 4 through 8, he gets into God, God's grace that had been given to them. And he reminds them, he says, I give thanks to God, to my God always. You notice he put my God, it's a personal thing. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the, of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. God's grace. You know, you ever gone out to eat with someone and then they decided to pay the bill? Whenever that happens, don't you feel like you should take them out to eat later on again and pay them back? That's the way we are with God so many times. Because of what God has done, we think that we've got to pay God back. But God's gift of grace is a free gift, isn't it? Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 And into verse 10, which puts things in order the right way, it says, By grace you are saved through faith. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift from God. And then the workmanship part comes. If we know that gift and we accept it, then we are are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus then to do those good works. (laughs) And Paul reminds them of that. And he reminds you and me today that that gift is free. (laughs) And then it gets even better because he talks about them being enriched, made exceedingly rich in him, (laughs) in everything, in all speech, in all knowledge. The whole idea is that there's only one that can fill that hole that's in our heart. Blaise Pascal, the, the uh, uh, mathematician, and, and Augustine both put it somewhat the same way. There's that God-shaped hole in the human heart that only God can fill. There's that God-shaped vacuum that's in every heart that can only be filled. It can't be filled by any created thing, Blaise Pascal said. The Creator is the only one who can fill it, and it's made known through Jesus. You ever seen the old um, Christian VHS tapes of the Donut Man? That'll date some of you. If you haven't seen it, it's kind of because the main song is Life Without Jesus is Like a Donut. There's a hole in the middle of your heart. 
And it's a simple truth. That even whatever age we are, we can catch that idea. And we've been enriched. And then he talks about them being confirmed. We're not talking confirmation things here, but being confirmed and made firm as a witness of Christ. And that witness is authenticated. It's made stable. It's verified. And it's proven to be true in you. God does this wonderful work. And He confirms it. And there may be days where you don't feel like it's confirmed in your life. You know, I tell people this and it's, it's really the reason that I can get up each morning. And it's just not a cliche. The reason I can get up each morning is because Jesus did come to this earth. Jesus did die. He did rise again. I may not always feel that way. But that truth is there and I can go to His Word and find it. And that allows me then to go forth and He confirms, authenticates using us mere people. Sinners. And He says, you're not lacking in any gift. Every one of you here has a spiritual gift. I was just looking at the Lutheran ambassador out there. I hadn't seen one yet. And that was one of the main emphases on the fly beyond. It was about spiritual gifts. We all have one. Everyone who's in Christ can be used. Whatever it is from what might be seen as the smallest of things done to what might be seen as people being up front. But every one of them is most important. <laughs> We all have that gift. You're not lacking. He's reminding them and he's saying that's confirmed in you. And, and the, all these things come as we are awaiting <laughs> eagerly <laughs> the revelation of Jesus Christ. We will be made firm till the end, till the day that Christ comes again or till the day we meet him face to face in our death. And when we stand before the Lord, we can stand there not in ourselves, but in Christ Jesus we can stand blameless without accusation. In the courtroom, Satan may accuse us, but Jesus says it's paid in full. Isaiah 53.5 says those very words. Jesus paid it all. It's paid in full. Salvation is not being in debt to God. It is being debt free because of God. And that leads us to that last verse, doesn't it? As he ends this little opening... He reminds them as he's reminded them all these things of what Christ has done. He then states those words. God is faithful. Do you mind? We're going to take just for a second here. I'm going to give you just a few verses about God's faithfulness. If you're wondering how faithful God is, we see it there in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 1. 
But then look to Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Psalm 145:13. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he made. Not just 85% of them, all of his promises. And to all that he has made. Psalm 146.6 He's the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful just on Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays. Forever. And when you feel tempted, 1 Corinthians 10.13 reminds you that no temptation has overtaken you except what's common to man. But God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he'll provide the way that you, a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Hebrews 10.23, let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I could keep on going forever here. In Revelation 19.11, it says... John sees heaven open and behold, there's that white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. First Thessalonians 5.24, the one who called you is faithful and he will do it. And finally, Lamentations 3.22 and 23. And by the way, there's many more faithfulness verses. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know when Jeremiah wrote that? He wrote that as he was watching Jerusalem be demolished. Yet he was able to say, great is your faithfulness, O God. God's faithfulness, by God's faithfulness, we are called effectively by the gospel here. And we're called into that fellowship of Jesus Christ. You know, in our world today, fellowship is something that a lot of people are longing for. To have a relationship. But you know, probably one of the biggest places that people go to is the neighborhood bar. It's probably the best counterfeit there is for the fellowship Christ wants to give his church. It's an imitation. It's dispensing liquor instead of grace. Escape rather than reality. But it it is a permissive. It's an accepting. It's an inclusive fellowship. It's unshockable. It's, It's democratic. You can tell people secrets and they usually don't tell others even want to. The bar flourishes not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put into the human heart that desire to know and to be known, to love and to be loved. And so many seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. If you go way back to the 80s, what was one of the greatest or TV sitcoms? Cheers. Because when you walked in, I mean, when Norm walked in, everybody said, Norm, you know. With all my heart, I believe that Christ wants his church to be a place where people can come 
not for beer, but for the word of God and the fellowship of Jesus Christ with one another. Are we going to be perfect? No. We're real. This is a real message to a real church. And that's what we're called to be. And are there things that we're going to have to deal with as we go along? Yes. Are there things and joys that we're going to celebrate together? (laughs) Yes. That's a real church. We need God's help through it all. I love the little poem. When you, how many of you remember Humpty Dumpty? And he fell and he couldn't get put together again, right? Well, there's a little poem that goes like this. He had an unsolvable problem, but we have an unsolvable problem, it seems like, too. But it's solved. Jesus Christ came to our wall. Jesus Christ died for our fall. So that regardless of death and in spite of sin, through grace, he might put us together again. Will God help us? (laughs) Will he keep helping us? I'm so glad he will. I'm so glad he does and helps me each day. He can do that for each of us. When we wonder about those things, we can always go back to His Word. And you will find in it the truth that will give you life. And life abundant. And true freedom. Not freedom to sin or to do whatever we want, but freedom from Would you pray with me, Lord, as we bow our hearts before you, as we prepare our hearts even, too, to come to that wonderful gift of your table, Lord, to receive your body and blood. May we come as sinners in need of your grace again. May we come desiring that you would be Lord of all. Lord, I pray simply you would do a work in each of our hearts that we'd remember who we are in you. And if if we've never really trusted in you, Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, call that heart to cry to you. I pray these things in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.